Welcome to the GT Podcast. So it's wonderful uh, to be back and it's really exciting. As I said at the beginning, I love baptisms. Baptisms are such an exciting point uh, in the life of a church. We're about to celebrate uh, baptisms for the first time at Holy Trinity, the church that I lead uh, in, in a few months' time. And I'm so excited um, to see people give their lives to Jesus and be part of that community. So it's a real privilege to be um, part of this service today. What we're going to do now is we're going to look uh, at a passage from the Bible. Um, so I'm going to read, if you've got a Bible app on your phone or a Bible with you, uh, you might want to look at it, but don't worry uh, if you don't. Um, and we're going to read uh, from Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 to 29, and I'm going to read that for us. So it says uh, in Galatians, uh, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody. Uh, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So, we're going to talk this afternoon about identity. Who do you think you are? Who do other people say that you are? What words do you speak over yourself? Um, I don't know if you feel like this or not, uh, but um, Alex and Abby, I think, have done something incredibly um, countercultural this afternoon. I think they've done something... Uh, that perhaps is even offensive. In our culture, uh, we are in the midst of a, an enormous conversation that's been going on for a few years about this issue of identity. We're in the midst of a conversation about what defines who we are. Is who we are bound up in our career, our gender, our sexuality, our nationality? Today, Alex and Abby, I think, have proclaimed that none of these things can truly define who they are. Who they truly are is defined by something much deeper than any of these things. As one uh, New Testament scholar puts it in explaining these words, in these few short sentences, Paul, the, the writer that wrote this letter to the church, manages to offend nearly everybody that he possibly can. We might think that this conversation about identity and identity politics is a very new one. In fact, there are some people uh, that seem to be quite afraid about the conversation that we're having about identity. But what we see in this passage is that though uh, the things we're talking about might be new, the question about identity and who we are and what defines us 
is a very, very old conversation indeed. In fact, we can see that in Paul's writing to the early church, thousands and thousands of years ago, uh, there are issues of identity at stake. Paul tells the church that the people that have been baptised in this church, like we did together this afternoon, um, cannot be defined by uh, their sex or by their gender identity. They are not defined by being male or female. They're not defined by their class or their social status. They're not defined by being slaves or free. They're not even defined by their religious identity. Paul tells them that in Jesus, there is no Jew nor Gentile. The claim that Paul says is that for those of us who are baptized, uh, there is one thing that is fundamental to who we are. And that is that we have been clothed in Christ. As we prayed for each one of the, as we prayed for Alex and Abby, I, I put a little sign of the cross on their head and I prayed this really simple prayer. Christ claims you as his own. That is a statement about identity, about who you are. You are the people that have been claimed by Christ, loved by Christ. So I wonder, I started off by asking you, who are you? How do you uh, define yourself? What's the thing that you use to define yourself? Uh, you might like, and when I was around at G2 many years ago, one of the key ways of understanding who you are was by doing a good old personality test, right? I don't know if this is still, G2 still quite into personality tests? Yeah? So I'm, I'm reliably told that I am an Enneagram type 4. Has any other Enneagram type 4s in the room? Dan's an Enneagram type 4. Uh, apparently, Dan, we're in good company. Uh, as, as, along with myself and Dan, uh, we also have Johnny Depp, Prince, Marlon Brando, Anne Frank, and Virginia Woolf. Good company. Uh, together with all these people, we are emotionally honest, creative, and personal. However, I have to warn you, watch out. Uh, I can also be moody, self-conscious, withhold myself due to feeling vulnerable and defective. At my best, I am profoundly creative. At my worst, I'm despairing, hopeless, and self-destructive. That's Enneagram type four for you. Good company. Um, maybe Enneagram doesn't do it for you. Maybe uh, instead, uh, you're a bit old school and you, you go for Myers-Briggs. Uh, my Myers-Briggs type is INFP. Anybody else INFP in the room? No, just me. Very good. Apparently, uh, along with myself, uh, other INFPs include William Shakespeare, Bjork and Alicia Keys. Again, very good company that I'm in uh, as uh, an INFP. Um, and that's because I've got a vibrant and passionate inner life. I have profound emotional responses to music, art and nature. I was actually in a cinema last night on my birthday watching a very, very depressing French film and I literally wept for two hours straight. <laughs> so that is cutting to the bone right now. Um, I am idealistic and I've got an empathetic longing for deep, soulful relationships. I could go on. I could tell you a bit more about my personality. Um, I don't know how you feel about personality tests. Uh, there's something in me that's a little bit cynical um, and says, I don't think human beings can be neatly divided into this many categories. As much as I would like to be thought of in the same breath as Bjork and Shakespeare, I'm skeptical about um, whether we can so neatly divide 
human beings. But I do know that these personality tests have uh, been helpful to me at various points, uh, but they can also be unhelpful. I think it's part of our human condition to want to divide one another into labels. We really like to be able to define ourselves. That's why uh, we're so drawn to questions like, which friend's character are you? Or uh, what color is the inside of your soul painted? In fact, I was uh, recently voicing my skepticism about uh, the Enneagram to a friend of mine. Uh, and he told me that apparently this is exactly what an Enneagram type 4 would say. Now, um, this response, I think, was intended as, um, as a joke. But I think there's a serious point behind it. When we talk about identity, um, sometimes it's easier, whether we're defining ourselves or whether we're defining other people, uh, to put somebody in a box so that we can put them away from ourselves, so that we can justify their behavior. And we don't have to explain any more about it. It makes it much easier to dismiss somebody else if you say, that's exactly what an Enneagram type 4 would say. That's exactly what this label uh, would mean for me. But I think the radical and offensive thing that we celebrate together in baptism is that none of these labels, whether they're the silly ones or the deep ones, none of these labels has the ultimate say on who you are. None of them is, has the ultimate say on who you are. The thing that is fundamental to you as, what, as a person who has been baptized is that you are clothed with Christ, that God loves you, that God accepts you and forgives you in Jesus. That is who you truly are. Now, that doesn't mean uh, that the rest of these labels suddenly become false, right? Don't hear me wrong. Um, and I think this is true for what Paul is saying in Galatians. Uh, when I say that I am fundamentally a person who's been baptized in Christ, loved and accepted by God's unconditional love, uh, that doesn't mean that I'm no longer a man, does it? It doesn't, does it? Um, and, I, and I don't think Paul in this passage is interested in completely erasing our human identity. This would be quite a strange thing to do, given uh, if we read elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul has quite a lot of very specific advice to very specific people. Uh, he tells Jewish Christian converts how they should eat. Uh, he, tell, he has instructions that are specifically addressed to certain church leaders. Uh, he has instructions that are specifically addressed uh, to men, to women, uh, to pagans, people from other religions that have come to faith. Uh, it doesn't seem like to be a Christian is someone that has no other identity other than Jesus. Having faith in Jesus doesn't mean that God treats us all the same. It doesn't mean that, but it does mean that there is something fundamental that we all share. And so baptism is not about denying your identity. It's about learning what is most, uh, what is most deeply and most fundamentally true of you. And I think knowing this, really knowing this, not just uh, being able to say it, but knowing it in our heart has to change something about how we live every day. This is a radical statement. 
Elsewhere in the New Testament, uh, we're told uh, that we have died to our old selves. We have been risen to life in Christ. We have been remade in Jesus. And so all of these things might still be true of me. I might still be a man and an Enneagram 4, um, I'm, and I'm still a father, I'm still a husband, uh, but all of these things have to be seen. All of these things that are true of my identity have to be seen through the lens of what is most deeply true of me, that I am loved, I am accepted, and I am forgiven. I am loved by God. I am deeply accepted, no matter what I have done. I am forgiven because of what Jesus has done for me. I think we just have to uh, stand amazed at how profound that is, that the God who created the heavens, created the earth, reaches down and he says, Alex, Abby, Dan, Hannah, Alan, I love you. I love you. He looks at each one of us and he accepts us for who we are. So how does it change how we live? How does this, realizing this fundamental truth, change how we live? Now, I don't know how to say this in a nice way, um, but you're quite selfish. Like all of us are quite selfish, let's be honest. Um, I think um, I discover this most truly when I'm driving a car, especially through Leeds. If you've ever had to drive, <laughs> drive through Leeds, it reveals something about uh, the deep-seated sin in your heart, I think. Um, there's something about driving through Leeds that I just find myself getting so angry at how many bad drivers there are in the world. How could that person possibly be so inconsiderate as to cut me off or to switch lanes at the last minute? Or even worse, to sit in the middle lane at 60 miles an hour. <sighs> that one really gets me. Um, I think they have it in for me. That's the problem, isn't it? Those people are out to get me. It couldn't possibly be uh, that someone is a little bit lost. It couldn't possibly be that someone is having a terrible day and isn't really thinking about their driving. Because I think that, honestly, I am the center of the universe. Most of the time, I think that I'm the center of the universe. I think all of us uh, go through times when uh, we think that the world revolves around us and our concerns and what we do. Not only this, but I think we're often, we often even tell ourselves that even though we know we're very damaged, uh, the solution can be found by just looking inside ourselves. The solution to our brokenness and our damage can be found by just looking a little bit deeper inside this very broken person. I know that I often revert to thinking the answer to all my problems comes by just trying a little bit harder uh, to be good, just trying a little bit harder to pray. Maybe then I'll feel fulfilled and God will love me more uh, and life will go better if I just try a bit harder to do those things that are good. And I think maybe we might even think about baptism in these terms, that baptism is something that revolves around me. It's something that I do so that God will accept me, so that life will go better. But I think the amazing thing that we celebrate in baptism is that it isn't about us at all. 
The joy is that we are invited to be part of this. But it isn't about us. It isn't about Abby. It isn't about Alex. It isn't about any one of us. It's about what God has done. It's about what God promised to do. It's about what God did in Jesus. And it's about what God is still doing. And so I can try as hard as I like to try and make my life better, to, make God, try, to try and get God to try and accept me and love me more. But that's not going to change anything. God has done it all. And God continues to be at work. What it means for us to be clothed in Christ is to recognize that it's out of our fundamental identity as people of Jesus that we are called to live differently. Not because we have anything to prove. Not because we can uh, trick God into liking us more. In knowing who we truly are, we're called to live lives that are radical and different. But we have to know who we are. We have to know uh, who God says that we are. So who do you say that you are? What do you see when you look in the mirror? Do you see one, a person that is loved and accepted and forgiven? Or maybe you have crept into thinking that some of these other claims about you are deeper and more fundamental. Maybe you've kind of slipped into thinking that, I don't know what, the, what it might be, maybe it's something as silly as the Enneagram. Maybe it's this lie that nobody could ever love me. Maybe that's what you see when you look in the mirror. Maybe that is the driving force of who you see yourself as. Or maybe it's something positive. Maybe it's being the best father you can be. Maybe that's what you see as fundamental to your identity. But what uh, we celebrate today as we look to the water of baptism is that when we look in the mirror, what God sees is that in Jesus we are loved, we are forgiven, we are accepted. And so like that picture of uh, getting into the water dirty and coming out clean, that's the invitation that we've been given today in baptism. To stand before God knowing that there's nothing we can do to earn his favour because Jesus has done it all already. So it might be for you that uh, in hearing these words of Paul's to clothe yourselves in Christ, uh, this afternoon it might be that in response, you need to make sure you're wearing the right clothes. Are you really wearing those clothes that say that who I am is a person that has been loved and chosen by Christ and everything I do will come from there? Uh, or have you slipped into putting on another set of clothes, another identity which you think is more fundamental? My invitation this afternoon for you is to make sure you're right, wearing the right clothes. Even if this is something you've uh, believed and practiced your whole life. Or it might be uh, that actually your response is uh, a different one. It might be that you've uh, this invitation to know that there is something fundamental about you uh, is a new one, something you've never heard before. 
But that invitation to be loved and accepted and forgiven, uh, that is for each one of us in this room. That's not just for people that have uh, believed this for years. It's not just for people that went into the water. That's for each and every one of us. And so the invitation to you this afternoon uh, is to know that that forgiveness is offered. That in Jesus' death, in Jesus' resurrection, and in the ministry that he continues to do for us, we can draw near to God and know something uh, of that identity of who you are made to be. So that's uh, my invitation for you this afternoon. I think we're going to stand together and pray now, and then we're going to uh, respond in worship. So can I invite you to stand? So, Lord, we thank you for that amazing truth that you have claimed us as your own. Pray that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit today. God, we pray that this truth, that we are yours, that you offer forgiveness freely to us. We pray that we would know that truth deeply as we go into this week. As we look into the mirror tomorrow morning, that we would know that we are yours. That there's nothing we can do to prove ourselves to you or to anyone. Lord, we, we pray that if we have put on those, those clothes that don't fit us, those clothes that speak, uh, that speak false statements over us, we pray uh, that you would remove those from us today. I want to pray for anyone who uh, has allowed the lies of other people to stick onto them as an identity. We pray in the name of Jesus that you would remove all things that have uh, distorted and claimed your sense of identity, that have made when you look in the mirror, you see something that is not who you were made to be. We pray that in the name of Jesus, those things would be broken. Lord, we thank you for who you have made us to be. We thank you that you long to draw close to each one of us, that you welcome us with open arms. Come, Holy Spirit, come. 
Fill your church afresh. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.